Welcome to the We Are All Needed podcast, a space where we together will inspire people to do something good. This podcast is for all of us that care. We care about how we spend our days, how we show up for each other and for the planet. I'm your host, Alexander Nash. I am many things as we all are, but the things I most proudly identify with are I'm an entrepreneur, a mother, business coach, athlete, and meditation teacher. I've roamed the impact startup world for over 15 years now, and I feel like it is time to share the stories of so many fascinating people doing so many incredible things. Together with the guests on this show, we will provide inspiration that no act is too small and that we are all needed. Let's dive in to this week's episode. Today, I'm welcoming Deanna Kitchen to the podcast. Deanna is a flower farmer, floor designer, and educator. Together with her family, she operates Twig and Vine Farm, a microscale cut flower farm specializing in dahlias, located in the state of Washington in the US. Deanna's heart for gathering, teaching, and community service led her to founding the Growing Kindness Project. Deanna quickly learned the joy of freely giving flowers as acts of kindness and catalysts for meaningful connection, and she set out to find ways to help others experience the same. The Growing Kindness Project now leads a global team of over 2,500 gardeners and farmers who are on a mission to change the world with kindness, one stem at a time. In this conversation, we talk about what the world would look like if we all had a small plot to garden and ground on, that sometimes it feels like kindness is a lost art, and the importance of the Anna Frank quote, no one has ever become poor by giving. Hi, Diana, and welcome to the We Are All Needed podcast. Thank you. It's It's such an honor to get to be here with you today. It is really nice of you to take the time to be here. And on this podcast, I always like to start with a question that kind of lands us uh, straight on topic before we get to know you personally a little bit better. So my question for you is, if you got to view the future in the most idealistic way possible, what would that future look like to you? Oh, this is a good one. Um. Well, to be honest, you know, you and I were chatting just a little bit about earlier about um, how significant it is that we are spending time outdoors. And for me, um, an an ideal world would be that every, every person had access to that opportunity. Um, And in layering that one deeper is I would love to see a world where everybody has a backyard garden. Um, for that reason, but also for so many others. I mean, we just know the healing um, that happens when we have our hands in the soil and the the beauty that there is in getting to watch things grow and the grounding that there is for us in being outside in nature and watching the seasons go by, even if it is, you know, a, a small pot on a backyard patio in a bustling city like even to be able to watch the seasons um, move by and with that as a marker and get to experience it personally and handle it I just think that we all need that connection Um, and then for me too as a person who loves um, flowers very much and who has seen personally the power of um, and the impact that they can have when we give them to others I just think in a perfect world to me, everyone would have a little flower garden in their backyard that they could cultivate and tend both for their own nourishment, but also to be able to nurture and nourish um, relationships in their community. Um, When we reach out and give people flowers, there's just something really special and beautiful that happens in that moment of connection. Um, And so, yeah. In my that's perfect really world, we'd, we'd all have a flower garden. Oh, that sounds so beautiful and, and pretty and just, I don't know, alive. Yeah, there's something about um, the wonder of 
you know, taking a tiny seed and putting it in the dark soil and then watching life spring forth that I think kind of reminds us all of the hope and potential that there is for growth. And I think seasons are so good for reminding us that we all are going to go through seasons and we all need those seasons. They're, they're important part of who we are, but they're hard sometimes to embrace, you know, when we're in the, we're in the seasons of dormancy or rest or being pruned. Um, yeah. It's kind of hard to hold on to that. So, Yeah. yeah. I've actually I've started gardening fairly recently myself and I I just put in a few like last like last things that we could plant here in Sweden in the fall and even though I've I've seen like I've seen it with my own eyes obviously that I plant a seed and something comes up still every time I plant the seed I'm like oh no you know I don't know if it's gonna work and all but I'll just plant them here anyways and then a couple of weeks later I'm always like laying on the ground you know looking like oh I think there is a little bit green and then it comes up and every time it brings so much joy that it was just the seed and like now it's something that I'm looking at or eating or I don't know it's a wonder that's hard to explain almost it really is and it really I think one of the really beautiful things about it is there's very few things in life that we don't kind of get really comfortable and familiar with um, and start to kind of take for granted, um, and stop. So we just kind of can stop seeing the wonder and the beauty in it. And yet the garden, every season, every year, like every new little seed, it's just this, I mean, I've been, I've been growing, we have, you know, on our flower farm here, um, we've been here for seven years and I've been growing, you know, flowers for market. Well, market for in various reasons um for probably about 10 years and every time every seedling tray every every row that goes out every you know tulip bulb that goes out it's that same feeling of just wonder and joy and inspiration watching it come to life so yeah what a beautiful thing if we could live in a world where everybody could step out of the busyness and hustle of just of life and be able to just take a moment to get to step into that and, and savor that. And then to enjoy the fruit of that, you know, that's such a awesome opportunity, you know, to be able to, like you said, to be able to experience and enjoy what you've grown or be able to reach out and share it. So, yeah. So you've, you've mentioned flowers uh, a few times. Uh, can you tell us a little bit, a little bit about who you are and where you are and what you sure. do? Sure. Well, um, I am in the upper um, Pacific Northwest. Um, so of uh, Washington state. So I'm kind of sandwiched right between Seattle and Canada, um, along the Puget sound. Um, so it's a really, really incredibly, I mean, I'm very lucky to have be able to step out into the beauty of nature here in this part of the world. And um, we are really lucky to live in a really beautiful place. And um, together with my family, we have a micro scale cut flower farm Um, and it's shifted and changed a lot um, what we're using it for and what it's what it's accomplishing in our community and in our world. Um, But we grow we're really not even close to a quarter acre um, and most of it is dahlias. Um, And so um, that's what we're doing in the summertime. Um, And it's kind of become a really big part of who I am, I guess. Um, I, you know, those winding paths that we take and we never realize when we start out on them that we're going to circle back to that place again. Um, So when I was a high schooler, my first two jobs were at a nursery, uh, just watering plants and weeding, and then at a flower shop. Um, And the irony of it was, was I could have cared less about landscaping and flowers at that point in my life but it was the means to an end because I was cared deeply was passionate about horses and riding and my family growing up we didn't have a lot of resources and my parents said we're happy to support you in this but you're going to have to find a way to find the resources to do this and so from very early on I had jobs um, that supported my passion for horses and so here this job at the flower shop and landscaping did see a love of flowers and growing for me. Um, 
that ultimately I came back around to in the last, I would say, um, probably 15 years of my life. Um, and so, yeah. Um, so here we are on a cut flower farm and one of the things that I love best about flowers is like I mentioned, they have this really, really unique, um, ability to connect people. Like people respond to the beauty of flowers in a way that I really haven't seen, um, people respond to much else with, um, I sometimes jokingly say, like, if you want to like forge an instant connection, like walk into a room of strangers and have there be, you know, an instant openness and warmth, um, an opportunity for conversation. If you walk in the room with a baby, that will happen. Yeah. <laughs> or if you walk in the room with a puppy, that will happen. But really like we, like those are very limited yeah. <laughs> opportunities that we might have to experience. But when you walk in a room, in a room with flowers, I have noticed, and I started finding this when I was working at the flower shop, one of my jobs was delivering. Um, when you walk in a room with flowers, people, people just soften. There's just a softening and a warmth and a receptiveness um, because of just the, the beauty and I guess it's really just the beauty of the flowers themselves. Yeah. Um, and so here in our experience of growing flowers, we started, I started realizing that was what really drew me to flowers was I, I loved the beauty of them myself. Um, I love the process of growing them and tending them, harvesting them, designing them. But what really drew me to them was this impact that they could have on people when they were given to people. And so, um, that, and I said to stop me if I get on too much of a wife. No, no, trail. no, that's fine. Uh, so how did you know, how did you know that this was your, like your place to create change and like to create impact? Was yeah. it, was it apparent to you that it was the flowers or the giving away of the flowers? Or I know you mentioned, you know, you call the, the growing kindness, like which, which came first and how did you know that that was your place? That's a great question. Um, I think like sometimes we have those like lightning bolt moments where aha, this is it. And then other times we have these like sunrise dawnings of like, oh, this is making more sense. And I'm seeing more and more clarity with this. Um, I think more of it was a slow, a slow creep towards that. And so what happened with recognizing that we had this, I had this opportunity to use what I had, um, to make an impact was we was a personal need. And I think so often, you know, we always say that like, yeah. usually it's, if you find a way to solve a problem, that's going to be a help to other people. That's going to have a lot of power behind it. And for me, it was, I was in a season of feeling really lonely and isolated. Um, I had just resigned from my teaching position and was home full time with my children. And just really felt disconnected to my community and kind of disconnected from that creative um, part of myself. Yeah. And so we, I was growing flowers for myself and it was very healing and very inspiring to me, but it wasn't until I realized that we could just give them and share them that things really clicked into place for me. And so um, with my sons who were very young at that time, we would go to local long-term care and gift flowers. And it was in those moments, I think the light really started to turn on for me that flowers weren't just something that were healing for me, but they were also um, healing to the people that they were receiving them. And they were also this catalyst that opened doors and created opportunity for connection that I wouldn't have had otherwise. And so when we started gifting flowers in our community, was when I started to see the potential for impact there. And actually there was one point when I can remember, you know, you know, those moments, like exactly, yeah. maybe that was maybe more of a lightning bolt moment in, yeah. in that for me is I can remember I was on my, I knelt down and was on one knee next to a gentleman in a wheelchair in the dining hall of this um, long-term care facility. And we had just gifted him flowers and he looked at me and he said, I just wish people, more people like me um, all over could get to have, get to have this. And it was just a dawning moment for me that we could only reach so far 
with the flowers that we could take to our local long-term care. Like we only had so many flowers from our small farm and we only had so much time, just myself and my children to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, but if, if we could, like, it was this question in my head, like, why couldn't this be happening in more communities? Why couldn't we help other people do exactly what we're doing and be able to enter into the joy that we're experiencing with this ourselves? Um, you know, Anne Frank says no one grows poor by giving. Um, and I think that was, that was such a true statement. Like we, like when we give, we give freely and give in kindness, like we're so enriched by it. And so it was like this opportunity, we would go in with full, full buckets and come out with empty buckets and just hearts overflowing. I and mean, it's kind of a hard thing to explain to someone like we, yeah. we have less, but we actually have so much more because we, we gave so freely. And so it was this opportunity to figure out how we could equip other people and inspire other people to do what we were doing. Um, and that really kind of was, was kind of the, the aha moment for me of, wait, this could be more than just us impacting our community and us enjoying the joy, um, the joy of giving. So, and how were they, how are the flowers received? Cause I can imagine sometimes, sometimes people also including myself almost don't give things because you worry, which sounds strange when you say it out loud, but you worry how they're going to be received. Right, right. Because I think we have, we know in our heart, our intention, we know that like you're intending to do this as a kindness to another person, but there's always that fear of what if it's misinterpreted? Yeah. Um, and that, that actually did happen at times in the beginning for us. And so we learned, we learned really quickly along the way um, that we could create clarity around our action um, so that it could be received. So the first time it happened, it was actually really heart-wrenching. Um, so we would take buckets of flowers with bundles, you know, bouquets in them. And my son, oldest son at that point, I think was like maybe eight. So pretty little still. Yeah. And he would come to me, I would, I'd be holding the bucket. He'd come get the bouquet and then we would go through the dining hall. Cause that was the perfect like time of day we would go at, at dinner which was at like 4 30 yeah um, and and all the residents would be down getting ready for their meal eating their meal so it was a great opportunity to be able to connect with a lot of people at once yeah. so he would come to me and get the bouquet and then go and give it to you know each of the people until everybody had a, um, each person until everyone had a bouquet and he came back I watched him walk over to an elderly woman and hand out the flowers to give her and she shook her head no um and then he came back and I said, oh, she did, she didn't want the flowers. And she said, no, she said she didn't have any money. Uh, and it was just this sinking feeling of, oh no, our expectation was never that we were selling these to you. We just wanted to give them to you. And so really quickly, um, two things kind of fell in place for us as a family. When we were gifting, we taught the kids that we grew these flowers in our garden and we are like, I grew these flowers in my garden with my mom. I would like to give them to you. These are for you. Like, so it was very clear that this was a gift um, with no expectation of any kind of return. Um, and then the other thing that happened as an organization that we figured out was that we could help other people with that same challenge. And so we created bouquet tags that say exactly that, that the flowers that they're receiving were grown uh, and given in kindness with no expectation of a return that all we hope is that they brighten their day. Um, that's all, that's all we want to see in return is that a hope, a hope that it would brighten their day. Um, so people occasionally will, um, pause in receiving if because kindness freely given is such a rarity. It like is. we always think, well, anything, any, um, any benefit given freely feels like it, we, we kind of live in a culture and a world where I think we question it. Like, wait, what are the strings attached what is it that you want from me? What do I need to give in return for this? And so, uh, yeah, it's been helpful for us to just yeah. make sure it's abundantly clear, like that there is, there is no expectation of return. They're given yeah. freely. That's so true. Cause I often think I work with a lot of startups and a lot of innovation, especially in like the sustainability uh, area. And there's often so much talk about, you know, how we can make the world better and we need, and there's, 
so much so many resources that go into that and so much innovation and so much you know uh it's just so much and sometimes i think like what if all of us just decided to be kind i think that would make the world so much better mm-hmm. and we didn't have to of course there's still certain innovation that needs to happen but i think there are so many things that could be put to the side if we just went through our days and were kind to the people that we met yes yes but it's almost like it's too simple you know like giving someone a hug or calling someone when you know just to say hi or bring over a meal or pick up your kid's friend uh, when you're in a place so the other mother doesn't have to go and get you know these Mm -hmm. like tiny tiny Mm -hmm. little things but somehow we've almost come to a, a place where we're scared that it will be, like you say, misinterpreted. Right. And then it's we one don't of the- do it at all instead. Yep. And I think it's it's probably, it's just going to take as many of us as possible who can just be as brave as possible to continue it and just keep that ripple it going and also keep that example there you know and people when people receive kindness they sp- they share kindness yeah um i read a study recently and it was a harvard study and it was that one single act of kindness in a day um directly impacts 250 people mm-hmm. um and it can be as simple as like complimenting someone on like yeah. you know like you have such a beautiful smile or here, can I hold the door? Take your cart back. Like, I think we, I think if you really, as my dad would say, hit the nail on the head there, um, that we overcomplicate it because we think it needs to be something complex and it doesn't like there is such power and beauty in simplicity. And I think that that, you know, really at the heart of what we're trying to do with the growing kindness project is to inspire people to the simple act of grow a flower, cut it, give it away. Like that, that's, that's it. Like it doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be the best, whatever bloom. It doesn't have to be arranged in a fancy bouquet. It doesn't have to be like pick the daisy on the side of the road and like go give it to somebody because it will make them smile. Um, because we, yeah, we tend to, um, we tend to look for these big fixes. And yeah. one of the things my, my dad used to say to me too, he used to spend a lot of time in the outdoors. And part of that was because we were a family who depended on the outdoors for a lot of resources. Like that's what put food on the table in a lot of ways. And so if we were out looking for something, my dad would say, like, always look near before you look far. And because point. the temptation is to like, yeah. look for like, again, like we look for these big fixes we look for these big impacts big splashes and really like it's like right in front of us and it's usually really simple and it's usually right within our reach um and that's something that with growing flowers has always felt really significant is that it 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 moves us into connection right within our community you know like you're not gonna you're not gonna take those flowers and box them up and like send them you know, across the country, but you are going to walk across the street and hand them to your neighbor. And so it encourages us and gives us this kind of, again, like a catalyst for looking close, like who's, yeah. who, who am I going to bump into today? Who's in my community that has a need? Where can, where can I go today right now? Um, and looking, looking at what are what the needs are and the opportunities are like close, um, yeah. simplifies yeah. And, and, and amplifies the opportunity for impact because then, you know, like you start to think of that 250 model, like if we're touching like one life or five lives, you know, in our community in a day, and then that ripples out times 250. Like if we keep repeating that in our yeah. community, our community is changed because yeah. of it. And then our, because our communities changed, our community can change like, you know, communities around us and yeah, yeah it just keeps rippling. Yeah, because I just had this experience. I mean, I might go on a little bit of a tangent, but last week where it was pouring rain and I was going to a store here nearby. I was dropping off some recycling and there was a man standing outside with a big backpack on with no umbrella. 
and he was just looking straight. And I thought to myself, hmm, that's strange. Surely he must get wet. But then, you know, I left the recycling and I thought, oh, maybe he's waiting for someone to pick him up. And then I went away uh, for like two hours and I came back to do shopping and he was still there. So then I thought, then I went up to, and you know, people go in, in and out of the store the whole time. And then I asked him, I was like, are you not getting wet? <laughs> and then he's like, oh, I don't speak Swedish. And then I tried to speak to him in English. And then he said, yeah, 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 I'm getting wet, but um, I don't know where I'm going. And I was like, well, what do you mean? And he was like, no, I'm this is so bizarre. I'm going to Norway, but the sea was on my left side. And now it seems like it's on my right side. Anyway, so I, at Norway, far away. Like, it's a long walk. But anyways, we ended up having this discussion. And the whole time I was thinking, like, should I give him money? Should I not give him money? Like, what if, you know, I was overcomplicated everything. I was like, what if he's from this place? And then this is going to happen to me. Should I take him like should I bring him home with me should I give him a shower I... and then we just ended up having a conversation uh, and I told him where to go um, and he seemed like he seemed happier and he walked mm. off and I did get ended up giving him a little bit of the stuff that I'd shop because I hadn't eaten for a while and I thought god I've like almost lost my ability to just have a conversation with a person because I'm afraid that he's going to think something of me when he is the one in this instant that maybe needed a little bit of support, but yet I'm selfishly thinking about myself. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, like you, you and I were having a conversation about um, parenting er earlier and about how we tend to actually um, hinder our kids by protecting them from risk because we don't want them to get hurt. And yet at the same time, they need to be able to experience making choices on their own and having the freedom to do that and and picking up the pieces when things fall apart occasionally yeah. to know how to calculate risk. And so, and also to be able to walk bravely in the world in confidence in themselves. And like, like you said, I think we've, we've overcomplicated things. And I think part of that, that, that factors in is because we're, we're scared of the risk, like somewhere yeah. along the way, we've become okay. really risk aversive with just walking up to people and, and starting conversations or putting ourselves out there and just yeah. like, just trying. And it's one of those things that the, the, the more that we do it, the easier it becomes. And, and the more we learn that we can trust the process, like, oh, most of the time when I do this, there's a warm reception and like occasionally somebody, you know, doesn't reciprocate or whatever, but, but it's that almost like we have to get, we've gotten out of the practice of reaching out yeah. to other humans. And, and really when right. you said like, what, what was the catalyst for starting? Like, who, who am I? and Why did I start this organization? You know, along, alongside of what was happening when I, um, cause you know, like an, another layer of the story with, I was struggling with postpartum depression, you know, when my, my two, um, our two older boys were real little and at home and stepped out of a job, you know, full-time job and was home. And it was just, it was a season of struggle and, and the garden was a place for healing for me. Um, but the thing that I just told, okay, <laughs> I totally just lost my train of thought. I told no, you sometimes no. I got a rabbit shell and I have to come back around. Um, I am so sorry. It no, is no, like, no, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> but how, when you started with your garden and your flowers, did you have any experience or did you just start really small, you know, with a couple and then you kind mm -hmm. of gained? Because you were a teacher. I mean, besides yes. working yes. in the nursery when you were young, you were a teacher and you didn't have any... Yes. Experience, yes. really. I did. I started very small. I actually just remembered the thought. I was yeah. sure. Is it okay if I circle yeah, yeah, back? Yeah, of course. With yeah. this, see, sorry, at the same time, so one of the catalysts for starting the organization was this loneliness that I was feeling. The yeah. irony to me was this was about the same time that Facebook had really kind of, maybe it had already been a thing for a while, but it was the first time that I was like really spending time on there. And I had all these hundreds of people that I was connected to digitally. And yet I had never felt so lonely. Mm -hmm. And so I really recognized at that point to me, it was this aha moment that 
this piece of being digitally connected does not fill our need for that real meaningful connection and being brave enough to walk up to the mom at the playground and be like, hi, it looks like our kids are the same age, you know, you know, just strike up a conversation or stand in line at the grocery store and just make small talk. Like, I feel like we have stopped practicing that in small ways. And so now we've made it this, it's this big, hard thing. And that's why flowers for me have just been such a simple tool because it gives us this safe, thing that we know is going to be received to be able to be the catalyst to reach out and be brave to start the conversation. Yeah. Um, and then from there, like what the real beauty is, is like real meaningful connection is happening in communities, not just like, it's all these layers of like, people get to connect to the earth and to grow- growing and gardening. Then they can kind of connect to themselves through it. And then they can connect to members in their community. And then they get to connect to team members, you know, within this organization. But it all just starts with that, like being brave and vulnerable to step out the first time outside of the safety of all these digital communications and digital connections that we have into yeah. like back into real time, real life connections. So, and so how does that, how does that work? Um, do you, how does the organization work? Do you sell, sell the, do you call it the bulbs of the medallias? Sorry. Yeah. So we, um, what started out, like kind of the way that we started was I had a bunch of dahlia tubers the first year. Um, If you're familiar with dahlias, they're an absolutely beautiful bloom. They're very robust. They grow all season long. So you cut all these blooms and then magically, almost seemingly underground, they're multiplying their tubers, which they're kind of like a potato. If you think of it like that, they're they're growing all these um, root pieces that can then be divided and, and replanted. So they multiply in two ways. So we, that was the first year where I had this really how the project grew was, you know, I had that, uh, that moment in the nursing home with the elderly gentleman who said, I wish everybody could experience this. And then as I was divining Dahlia tubers realized like, Hey, wait a minute, these we can give to other people and we could help them seed their garden. And so that was kind of how we started locally, but really quickly realized that more than just the need for garden resources, people wanted inspiration and the idea of doing it, like of like being cheered on and encouraged in, in planting a garden and growing in kindness and giving in kindness. And then they also needed resources to teach them how to do it. So yeah. it wasn't so much access to resources as access to um, inspiration mm-hmm. for, for the act of growing and giving, and then education to teach people just the logistics of like, here's how you grow a Cosmo and here's how you grow a Dahlia. And here's, you know, five different ways that you can put these flowers together in a vase. And so, um, what we do is we, um, we offer, um, community around it. So if, you know, you, anybody, and then I know you know this as, as a person who um, is deeply, deeply rooted in the nonprofit world, like it doesn't, it doesn't, all it takes is one person to make a change. So anybody could go out and grow a garden in their backyard and start gifting flowers and kindness. Um, One thing that we found is really impactful is the, um, the opportunity to link arms with like-minded people. Um, It just really amplifies that effort, but also amplifies the uh, encouragement and inspiration to do it. You know, um, one of, one of our team members, I was asking our, um, a handful of our team a few months ago, like, what, what is it for you? That's really like been the most helpful about this project. And she said, I wasn't just the crazy lady giving people flowers anymore because I had a mission that people could clearly understand. I could say like, I'm a member of the growing kindness team we grow and give flowers and kindness to people all over the world. I'd like to give these flowers to you. And so it gave, it gave, a, um, it gave her a, a place. Legit, a legit, yeah, yeah. Like a place and belonging, a sense yeah, of belonging. belonging. Um, and so that I think is really, um, a big part of what we do. And so we have an online community forum where our team hangs out and shares each other on and encourages each other. And then that's also where, um, all the education is happening as well. So we have, um, flower farmers who are coaches in our team, um, who come into the team to support people in growing. So 
they're available and access accessible to answer questions and problem solve and troubleshoot because gardening, you know, there is a big growing curve with it, yeah. um, especially when you're just first starting out. Um, and then we have really cool um, contributors who come and teach all kinds of really helpful um, things about growing flowers and designing flowers so that our team feels really confident in growing their garden and feels um, equipped to be able to grow whatever volume of flowers it is that that they're wanting to grow. So that's a big part of what we do. And then we also do provide um, resources. We've really focused um, because our, our capacity to right now, we're really, and one thing I should say too, is we're just in our third year right now. So um, we're very much in the growing stage. As So this is separate. So this is separate from the farm. It's essentially two different, you also yes. grow flowers on your farm that yes. you take to market or. Yeah. So, and like the kind of the whole story with the farm is, um, you know, you said too, like, how did you find like who you were? One of the ways that was really helpful f- with that is figuring out who I wasn't and what I wasn't supposed to be doing. And when really, we don't really grow for market very much anymore. We really mostly only do events on our farm. Um, One of the things that I found out was that I, I didn't want to be um, in the whole, like the hustle culture. Um, And we wanted our farm to be a place that was a place of rest and beauty for people. And so we really have mostly shifted to um, our flowers in the summer are forgiving. Um, really predominantly what we grow gets given in our community. And then, um, you know, as a, as a farm-based business, um, the revenue that we generate from the Dahlia tuber sale. So we harvest the Dahlia tubers, divide them in the winter, and then do have a farm sale in the spring. The revenue that we generate from that is what keeps the farm going so that we're able okay. to grow and give the blooms in in like freely through the summer. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing too that I figured out was, you know, that piece of like figuring out who you aren't and who you are. Um, a f- oh, probably... I would say maybe 10 years ago, nine years ago, I took the strengths finder assessment for the first time. I don't know. Are you familiar with that one? Maybe. Um, I think I've heard of it. I'm not quite sure. It's through the, I believe it's the Gallup poll who first created this a survey. Um, and it really helps you just to identify. Um, uh, and don't quote, actually don't quote me on that. I'm like, I don't remember who wrote it originally but yeah, no. it helps you to identify really because the I, the premise behind it is that we all have some innate core strengths um and so often we tend to focus our efforts on building our areas of weakness or struggle rather than focus our efforts and energies on finding things that are aligned with our strengths and so at the point that I took the strengths finder assessment I thought who I was and who what, what I was supposed to be doing was being this hustling, you know, successful flower farmer who is, you know, selling all these flowers at markets and doing all these weddings. And at the point that I took the strengths finder assessment, um, what the reality for me was what I kind of probably knew intuitively is that my strengths really more were in, um, making connections and fostering relationships and, and helping people grow. Um, and so once, once I started shifting and leading with that and not trying to like, as the saying goes, like force a square peg into a round hole, like that type of market growing really wasn't where I wanted to be. Um, and it didn't align with what my values were also and what, like what we wanted our farm to do. Um, so when we shifted and really kind of let the farm just be like, self-sustaining and shifted our focus. I shifted my focus to growing a nonprofit organization that could equip and empower people to do this. Um, the farm kind of really took a back, a back seat to growing and developing the nonprofit. So. But that's also, it's very brave. It's one thing to find that out, you know, or that what you intuitively felt was, probably actually also true like about the path where you should be landing but it's also brave to then go out and make the change you know it's one thing finding out but it's another one 
to make the change? Was it, how was that journey of making that change? Because I could imagine you probably relied on the revenue, like from, you know, there's always that grace period when you let something go. It's not like the new thing or most, mostly doesn't, you know, jump on your lap the next day. How was that transition for you? Right. Um, that's a great question. Well, one thing that has allowed a much larger window of opportunity and flexibility is that the farm has had to, I'm like glancing out at my flower field right now. If you keep seeing me, (laughs) like this is my thinking space over here, looking at the flower field. Um, one, one thing is, is that the farm, um, has always needed to be self-sustaining, but we weren't dependent on it for generating an income that we depended on as a family. And so it needed, it needed to be able to grow itself and sustain itself, but it opened up a little more window of opportunity for looking at what role our farm could have outside of just generating revenue for our family. Um, and I, I absolutely recognize that's a luxury that, that, um, it was a privilege that we had. And so we wanted to really use it well and, and do the most we could with that. Um, and that transition didn't happen yet. Definitely didn't happen overnight. It was really a slow process for me of just getting really honest with myself, um, about what wasn't working and being willing to let go of it. And as soon as I started letting go of things that I was holding on to tightly, that really weren't for me, um, that's when space started opening up for the things that really were for me. Um, and so for us as like farm, you know, as a flower-based business, the first thing I let go of was weddings. Um, you know, just recognizing that it was not in my area of strength. It wasn't bringing us joy. It wasn't really the time and energy that it was taking wasn't there wasn't a, a return um, for that. So that was the first thing we let go of and kind of grieving that. Um, one of the things I, I do know about my personality is that I want to do all the things all the time. Yeah. Um, and so there is that acceptance of um, being willing to do less things, but do them better. And actually, maybe not ironically, about the same time this process was happening, I read Essentialism. Yeah. And I can't remember the author's name right off the top of my head. Uh, um, is it McEwen or something? Yes, is his yes, last yes, name. yes. Yeah. Or first, no, last time. No, last. I think Greg. Greg McEwen. Yeah, Greg. Yeah, McHugh. yeah. Um, he actually Greg. just came out with a second book called Effortless that I'm partway through, which is equally, um, equally an excellent read. But Essentialism, like really the whole book was based on this like simple saying of less but better, less yeah. but better. And so it was really... Um, it really came at exactly the right moment, this mindset shift of that I could do a lot of things and do them, you know, not very well and feel really just feel way too spread thin, or I could focus on doing a few things that would actually really have impact. And so at that point, it was about kind of shifting the things we were doing to be in, in line with my strengths and in line with my values and in line with what we wanted for our farm space as a family, but also in line with who, like for me, who I wanted to be in the world and what I wanted, what I wanted um, to use my time, my time and strengths and resources for. And so, yeah, it was a little bit of a slow shift um, away. The farm for a while also supported the startup of not of the growing kindness project. So for a few years, everything that we had revenue from the farm went directly towards actual startup of, you know, getting our website built, getting our 501c3 um, in place, you know, all those beginning pieces and early expenses, um, the farm like served to support that so it's patience isn't it sometimes we need to recognize that good things do take time and and also be able to trust that we can do many things but we don't have to do all of them all the time it's I'm nodding my head as you say that because that is that is a uh, lesson that I have to come back to constantly um I have so many dreams and hopes for 
things that the Growing Kindness Project is going to be able to do in the world. And What's your biggest dream? What's your biggest dream? If the, the, the dream that's so big that you are almost too scared to say it, if you want to share it. Oh, man. Um, well, like, it feels like when, I, when you ask that, I'm like, it's a dream because I like this is when I feel really confident and excited about. Like, I can see this coming together. And it's actually not as far in the future as, um, as it's not very far in the future, but it feels big because it's, um, it's just, it's what's near and dear to my heart again, in creating something that's aligned with, with who I am and what I value and, and what I want to be able to help people in. And so that's launching the growing kindness kids program, um, to be able to create resources that are developmentally appropriate for kids to be able to carry this mission forward, just the same as they're seen modeled in their parents or caregivers. And so um, one thing that we know, you know, you and I both know as, as parents is that when we give kids an opportunity and we give them the tools that they need. And again, coming back to that risk thing, when we give them opportunity to take risks, they, they thrive with that. And so our, like my, my dream for, for growing kindness kids is to be able to equip kids with, with the inspiration and the tools that they would need to be able to get out and grow their own garden and then feel really brave um, because they're seeing their peers model doing this. And because they're watching their, you know, parent or caregiver modeling, doing this is get out in their community and make those personal connections. Like that to me, like, again, it's like, well, that sounds so simple. Like you just create some curriculum for kids and rock and roll. But the thing that feels the most exciting about it for me is this thought of, you know, like we were just talking about, we've forgotten how to take the risk and reach out and, and start up conversations with people. And ask people how they're doing and watch out for the needs, like watch out for the gentleman on the corner standing in the rain. Like we're, we've kind of moved away from the practice of doing that. And so if we can raise up a whole generation of people who are confident and comfortable and, and, empowered to know that like, I can do something. There's something I can do in my community. I can spread kindness. I can build relationship. I can foster a sense of connection in my community. Um, like just, you know, that whole like drop, you know, one, one act of kindness touching 250 people. Like, can you just imagine if we can equip and empower kids to be able to start doing that now? And then they just grow with this, simple activity um that that helps them build confidence and familiarity in taking risks to reach out in community like that that's gonna that's that's gonna change the world yeah that is gonna change the world and I think more now than ever it's so important because what we talked about a little bit like you said before we hit record is that many kids now are just being brought up with that everything is dangerous mm-hmm. um, don't talk to the these people don't don't go there online don't go there offline you know rein yourself in here like it's I, in a sense their world is getting bigger and smaller at the same time yes yes absolutely so I yep. think I think that's it's so important for kids to be able to have those kind of conversations and just I listen uh, or no, I've read a study that that were showing signs of, don't quote me on this, but they called it like digital autis- autism, where they've seen autism signs in kids such as not being able to make eye contact, but they don't mm-hmm. medically actually have the diagnosis, but they've spent so much time looking on screens and not at people that they don't know how to make eye contact anymore. And that's shocking. It is. Uh, It is so like. And I've seen that a little bit with my own kids as well. Um, They are 
they're on screens a lot on you know in sometimes in school and it's another pace of life and they're kind of running around everywhere and sometimes I have to to remind them like when you enter a room you look people in the eyes and you say hi and when you exit the room you also look people in the eyes it's not enough just to say bye you're actually you know turning to the people look them in the eye because that means something to people so I think that's I think that's so important it's uh, like we are we are made to be in community like it's our most basic need to know that we belong in our community and so to be able to build relationship and build connection is so critical and for kids too I think this other um other layer and piece too to be trusted to do something yeah. like here's the seeds go grow you know like grow your garden we're here to help you but but you can do it you know and just to have you know, like you and I were talking about that that's just like the miracle of watching a seed grow yeah is so impactful and so empowering and so for kids to be able to help Get them see confidence. their their capability like look yeah. what I am capable of and then also like that simultaneous, like seeing what they're capable of and then being reassured over and over again that you belong and you're important because more and more, also I think one thing that's happened societally is that we've moved away from giving kids risks and giving kids real responsibilities. Yeah. And so kids need to know, like, I have an important job to do. Yeah. Um, you know, whatever that is in their, in their home, in their community, like they need to know, like, I'm an important part of this community and I'm needed here. Yeah. And when they have a task that they can do like that, that's, um, that's accessible. And again, coming back to that, like, it is pretty, I mean, I mean, <laughs> I would say it's really simple. And if you're, yeah. you've never grown anything for me to be like, it's really simple to grow yeah. something that can, that can Put make it down and water that, it and it's all fine. Yeah, not as true, but really like there is like they plants want to grow you know um there's a simplicity to it and the simple simple act of like look near because who better than the children in our communities to be able to see with their the way that they see and interpret needs in the community like one of the things that's been most inspiring to me as we've grown this team of worldwide gardeners and flower farmers is that everyone gives in their community and the way that they see a need. And what is so incredible about that is that every individual has had different life experience. Yeah. Um, and then they're geographically in different areas. You know, we have some people who are in really rural communities, some people who are in urban communities, some people who are in communities who've seen devastating um, traumas, you know, like every community has a different need. And, and also every individual's team member has different eyes to see those needs. And so we have communities, like we have a, a, a um, here in my community, um, we've focused on giving to long-term care. Like it was really important to me again, for our children to yeah. feel comfortable and confident in making those connections with all the people they met, including people who were in a different generation than they were. Yeah. And so that was the area we focused on, but we have a team member here, right in my local community who I, I didn't even know that we had a women's shelter in the town, you know, what next door to us and but she did because she had had some connections there. And yeah. so that's where she serves and giving flowers. And so it's really cool that it really is limitless, the possibilities and potential for impacting communities, because every individual sees and understands different needs. And every community has different needs. And when our kiddos, when we can empower them to start just training them to notice needs, yeah. I think is another really big part of it's what the impact I think that growing kindness kids can have is not only are they being trained how to figure out how to grow flowers and what to do with the flowers, but also just developing a practice of looking with new eyes around their community to notice needs you know yeah. that's like half the battle is just being able to identify exactly where there's a need and then take action and have the impact so yeah that's gorgeous I can't wait for that dream to be to be a reality 
Yeah. Uh, or... Before before we wrap up today, I just want to ask two more questions. Um, if you were to give the listener one simple uh, tip or tool or something that they could do to create impact for their community or for the planet or humanity, what would that be? I think actually probably just re coming back to what we were I was sharing earlier is that look near first, look really close to home first, um, look at the needs that are right in front of us and right around us. Yeah. Um, I think sometimes we tend, when we tend to look globally, we get a little paralyzed, um, yeah. feels overwhelming to take action. But when we look locally um, and we look within within our neighborhoods and communities, it it feels more accessible. And in some ways it can be more accessible yeah. to, to be able to take action on that scale. When you asked me um, how I started growing, I had one row of sweet peas on an area that it was honestly just kind of a by accident garden. Like we right. put in a swing set, we had some open soil. The only thing left that I could find for seeds at the, the hardware store was sweet peas. They were not even in the right season. Yeah. Like it just, it just worked. I don't, I look back and I don't know how, <laughs> but it would, that was it. It was just one little row. And so you just start where you are. Like Arthur Ashe says, start where you are, use what you have, do what you can. And so I think that really comes to like, if I could give one piece of advice, like how are we going to, how are we going to impact the world and make like see change happen is just start right where we are with our feet on the ground in our neighborhood or in our community and look for the needs there first, because then we can start small. Then you don't have to, you know, fundraise millions of dollars, you know, for, um, you know, an impact activity, like, you can use the resources that you have, you know, you can use that to, to create change right there, um, right where you're at. So yeah, that would be my, well said. Would be yeah. Well said. That's, that's a great tip. And lastly, how can we support, how can I and the listener support you in the best way? Oh, thank you for asking really, um, come and see, like, come and see what this project is all about. We would love it to have as many people as have any interest. If there's anything that's like lit you up in listening to this idea of growing and giving flowers, um, there's a place for you here. And that's something that we feel really proud of what we're growing as a team and a community where everyone has a place and there, there is a true sense of belonging and team and community. Um, so I would invite invite listeners to come and see what we're all about um, whether you're inspired to grow and give flowers, um, we've got a place for you. You can come and join us as a growing kindness gardener, which is a free membership available to anyone anywhere in the world. Um, just sign up and we get you resources to help you start growing your first garden and giving in your community, um, and being a part of the team. There's something special when we, you know, when we get the we get the team uniform, like, Hey, I'm a part of this team, you yeah. know, that, that feels special and impactful. Um, so we have all kinds of really fun, um, you know, badges and things for people to share that they're, they're on the team, they're a member of the team. Um, and then we have our online community, which actually our first, um, our first group, um, that was in that, in that community space named it. And they chose the name, the greenhouse for our oh, online nice. community. And we love it because it really, bring it really ca as encapsulates everything that it is um it's a really warm and nurturing space where things go to grow yeah. and it's bright and encouraging and safe um it's just a really sweet space um and so uh, if people were interested in being wrapped in even more community um and more education and resources that's the space where that is happening so all those things are available on our website under the join now tab. So our website is um, the growing kindness project.org. And I said the growing kindness project, it's actually just growing kindness project.org. Growingkindnessproject.org. Um, and we're also on Instagram at growing kindness project. Um, no dot org. Sorry, my brain's going. <laughs> yeah, just grow. I'll link to all just, of the stuff yeah, in the show notes kindness. as well. Yeah, so that's a sweet place. You know, as much as yeah. we can, we try to um, share what our team members are doing there. It's so, 
inspiring and beautiful just to see the ways that people are sharing flowers and impacting their community all over the world. So it's fun to keep up with, keep up with that there and, um, you know, glean some tidbits on growing and giving flowers there as well. So. That's great. Well, again, thank you so much, Deanna, for taking the time and for spreading so much joy and beauty and inspiration and for really letting us know that we're all needed and that we can all do something right where we, where we are. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thank you for using your precious time to listen to the We Are All Needed podcast. And if you find the podcast valuable, please rate, review, and most importantly, Share this episode so that we can spread more goodness out there in the world. If you want to work with me, find out more about the guests or the community, please jump on over to www.thecircularentrepreneurs.com. Until next time.